Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jubilee Fellowship Church. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. Hope you guys uh, had a wonderful time. Did you have a good uh, time with your families and loved ones? Amen. want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, everybody listening uh, via live stream right now, all around the country, all around the world, uh, and uh, everybody who may listen in at a future time via podcast. Uh, this is an interesting weekend because there's, I don't know, I've been more aware than ever uh, this year of just the controversy that there is between kind of Thanksgiving week or season and Christmas. Anybody with me? You know, there's, there's horrible things being said on the internet, I want you to know. Uh, you know, it, for every tree that goes up, every Christmas tree that goes up before Thanksgiving, horrible things happen to elves. And it's very, very bad. I'm telling you, don't let your children read those things. So there's this controversy of, you know, where exactly does Thanksgiving end and where does the Christmas season begin? And I thought, um, if nothing else, I don't intend to by any means solve that controversy, but I thought if, if I want to be a unifier, you know, is what I want to do. Um, so I thought, uh, what better way to just kind of unify us as a church body and everybody listening in than to uh, share with you a few maybe questionable or even bad Thanksgiving jokes just to sort of move on together as a church body into Christmas. So uh, have you ever had that feeling like it's not going in the right direction? Okay. Uh, what do you get when you cross a turkey with a banjo? You get a turkey that can pluck itself. I'm going to keep reading these until I get some laughter. So here we go. What did baby corn say to mama corn? Where is popcorn? I can go all day, people. I will outlast you. Why can't you take a turkey to church? Maybe some of you have thought about bringing a turkey to church with you. They use foul language. Okay, fine. Last one. Here we go. What sound? I know there's a lot of talk out there about what exactly does the fox say. Um, I don't know. I hope... Sorry, parents, didn't mean to open that can again. I know what you'll be listening to on the way home uh, this weekend. But anyway, uh, here, here I wanted to kind of take a little correlation, a little rabbit uh, trail off of that and ask you, what sound does a turkey's phone make? Wing, wing. Okay. Can you say thank you, Jesus? We're done with that part. Amen. Okay, well, here's the deal. I, I hope that now officially we can mark kind of the bookend of that was Thanksgiving. We are thankful to the Lord. And can we move on together to great joy in this season? Okay, amen. Well, let's do that. Welcome to our new series, <laughs> Great Joy. And uh, we do want you to experience the joy that God has for you this Christmas season like never before. And so the theme of the next few messages in the month of December here is going to be great joy. And I am privileged to uh, be sharing with you this very first one. And uh, I wanted to uh, remind everyone, obviously, if you haven't had a chance to, to be at church the last few weeks or haven't had a chance to listen to the last series on trouble, uh, it is a powerful series. And Pastor John and others have shared with us uh, how to deal with trouble in our lives, how to deal with adversity, how to deal with grief and with loss and even with tragedy in our lives. And one of the, uh, the, the, the truths that has come out through that is that God is calling us to a tomorrow 
that he has for us in our lives. And, and that was actually the, the title of the series was Tomorrow. And it conveyed that truth that, hey, no matter how bad it may feel or it may actually be right now, today, God has a tomorrow that is calling to us. And if we can see it by faith, we can begin walking towards that thing and make it to God's promises in our lives. And so, interestingly enough, I think that is exactly where we pick up right now with this series is the fact that uh, it begins in, in Luke chapter 2, and that's our theme uh, verse and uh, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But before I read that, I want to just share with you very briefly where the people were that were receiving this particular word on this particular starry night. And if you remember way back, taking a, a hip a trip down memory lane, way back a thousand years before this first uh, happened and took place on that evening, it was the days of King David and King Solomon and Israel. Man, things were great. There was gold and silver, and there was prosperity, and there was blessing and freedom, and everybody was doing well, and all of Israel's enemies were subdued on every side, and man, God was good, and life was good, and, and it was a wonderful thing. But then something began to happen. And over time, the people of God began to grow cold in their love for God and began to worship other idols. And long story short, God allowed the kingdom of Israel to be divided in the days after Solomon, King Solomon. So it became the, the northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah, began to be divided. And then after that, God allowed different uh, kingdoms to oppress and even to conquer the people of God. Particularly Babylon is probably the one that we're most familiar with. And uh, the Jews went to Babylon for 70 years and they were in captivity. And Daniel and Jeremiah and others finally, you know, got a word from God like, hey, God has called the captivity to, to come to an end. And God's going to bring us back to our nation and to our land. We're going to be free once again. We're going to be blessed by God once again. And sure enough, that's exactly what God did. The book of Nehemiah talks about that. God moved the king's hearts, and he allowed the people, in fact, not just allowed them, he sponsored them. He gave them money and armies and building materials and everything they needed to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple of God back around 400, 450 B.C. And so that had happened. But let's face it, the people kind of were in decline. In fact, the day that the temple was built, it says that there was a mixture of laughter and rejoicing over the fact that this temple had been rebuilt, that had once been destroyed. But then there was weeping as well, because the older generation realized, man, this is nothing like the temple that Solomon had back in our day. Man, this is nothing. This isn't even half of what it was, man. And so there was weeping and there was laughter. You couldn't tell what was what. There was such commotion on that day. But then what happened was this. The people of God entered a time where for 400 years, there was no word from God. They're called the silent years. 400 years. Think about this. There was no prophet that arose among the people of God saying, hey, this is what God is speaking. This is what God is saying. This is the way that we should go. This is what we should do. And so day turned into week, turned into month, turned into year, where things were silent. And all of a sudden, oppressors and armies would come and, and conquer the people of God. And they were torn between armies of Syria and armies of Egypt. And Jerusalem, did you know this, was one of the cities that has been most conquered and devastated in the entire history of the world? More than 27 times Jerusalem was pulled out, knocked down, torn down, rebuilt, back and forth. This army, that army, everybody wanted a piece of Jerusalem. And 400 years of that went on. How do you think those people felt after 400 years? I mean, that's more than uh, twice the time that the United States has been a country or thereabouts. You think they might have felt a little bit discouraged? A little bit like, man, where is God in the middle of all this? Man, what is going on? 
What happened to that whole chosen by God thing? What happened to that whole, hey, we are a royal priesthood? Man, we're, we're the people of God chosen out of all the nations of the earth? What happened to that? Because it sure doesn't feel like it right now. It feels like we're everybody's doormat. And that is the situation that the people of God found themselves in when our verse takes place. And I don't know about you, but I know there's times in my life where it may not have been 400 years since I've heard the voice of God, but man, it can feel like it. Man, it can feel like it. There are seasons in our life. Pastor John talked about it last week when he talked about the different seasons, you know, winter and spring and fall in our, in our heart, in our relationship with God that we go through. And man, I'm telling you what, perhaps you're here today or at one of our campuses this weekend, but you're feeling like, man, it, it, I know it hasn't been, but it feels like it might as well have been 400 years since I've heard God say anything to me, since I've heard God show his power, since I've seen him sort of destroy my enemies or, or, or come in and fight on my behalf. If anything, it feels like I'm being trampled from everybody all around me. My work situation, my marriage, my children, my friends, whatever. If anything, I feel lonely. I feel broken. I feel discouraged. I feel abandoned. Such was the feeling of the Jews at this time. And so... God breaks the silence after 400 years with the verse that is the theme for this series. And it says this, and I'm going to read just a little bit more than perhaps is in your notes. But it's a familiar passage in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 8. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, this is how he breaks the silence, do not be afraid. Other versions say, fear not. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah or Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Wow. After that tremendous amount of time of silence, of not hearing God, of wondering where God was, of wondering if they had done something wrong or if God had moved on and forgotten about them completely, the way we sometimes may be tempted to feel. An angel appears in the heavens and breaks the silence with a message from God. And the very first words are, fear not. Do not be afraid. Aren't you thankful that God breaks the silence? Man, I'm telling you what. I'm so thankful we have a God who speaks into the silence and speaks into the situations in our lives and speaks with hope and with comfort. That's exactly what he said. In fact, in a very short amount of time, the angel had appeared to several people. He had appeared to Joseph, the, to be husband of Mary. And guess what his words were to him? Fear not. Don't be afraid. He had appeared to the Virgin Mary, telling her she was going to conceive the Messiah. And guess what God's words were to her? Fear not. Do not be afraid. He had appeared before that to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, telling him he was going to have a miracle child. And guess what the angel's words were to him? You got it. Fear not. Do not be afraid. And now he appears to the shepherds out of the field going, hey, don't be afraid. Do you think God is trying to get something across here? God's word to people is, do not be afraid. I know it's been a long time since you've seen me do something or since you've heard me in the way you expected to, but I have a word for you, and that is, don't be afraid. 
I'm here. Things are about to change. Things are about to get better for you because I love you. And I'm wondering to myself, why were those words the words that were spoken? Why did the angel break the silence with the words, fear not or do not be afraid? And as I prayed about that and began to, you know, question, why was that? I believe that uh, God gave me three simple thoughts to share with you today uh, and to share with you at all of our campuses about why I believe God spoke those words and why I believe God is speaking those words to you and me as we begin this Christmas season. The first one is this. God knew it needed to be said out loud. God knew that it needed to be said out loud and that we needed to hear it. Almost four years ago, in March of 2010, we were celebrating uh, my son Levi's birthday at uh, his grandparents' house down in Castle Rock. And uh, we were there, and we were actually on vacation, so we hadn't gone to church. It was a Saturday night. We hadn't gone to church that evening, and we were, you know, getting the cake and the presents and cards and everything ready. And Eliana and Caleb had gone to church down in Castle Rock, and uh, they were going to meet us at uh, Grandpa and Grandma Allen's house. And so we were expecting them, and they said, yeah, we're on our way, and so we knew they were going to be there very shortly. Well, then I got a phone call, uh, and I was like, well, I wonder who that's going to be, because I know, you know, we're expecting uh, Caleb and Ellie. It turned out it was my son Caleb. He said, Dad, I've been in an accident. I need you to come right now. He told me where it was, on the corner of 5th Street and Founders. Man, it took me about two seconds to jump in our minivan and head down there. It was only about a mile away. And I didn't even have to get there. I could see lights reflecting upon all the, the fields and the, the buildings nearby. I could hear the sirens. I could see, you know, fire trucks and police cars and a crowd begun to gather. Some cars pulled over. It was very dark. And uh, as I began to approach the scene, I parked my vehicle and I began to run on the scene, but I heard and saw something that completely took my attention away from the accident itself. And that was I saw my seven-year-old daughter at the time, Eliana, over to the side, over to the left, across the street, next to Caleb's yellow cavalier, and she was crying and screaming, Dad! Dad! And she was kind of by herself there. And man, I started running to her. And I got to her and I just grabbed her and hugged her. And man, she grabbed me tighter than she had ever grabbed me before. She was crying. She was confused. She was terrified. She didn't know what had happened. She was obviously startled and shocked from being in the vehicle at the time of the accident. Thankfully, she was fine physically, but very afraid. And do you know what the first words were out of my mouth? Hey, it's going to be okay. Daddy's here. It's going to be okay, Ellie. It's going to be okay. You know what? I didn't have time yet to think, how is it going to be okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, what all needs to happen? What is our life going to look like in the next few months? And how is everything going to work out financially? How is everything going to work out legally in the courses? All the different things that were going to happen? No. I just knew as a father, something rose up within me. And I had to say it out loud to my daughter whom I loved. It's going to be okay. Daddy's here. I'm with you, honey. It's okay. Do you know that your father feels the same way about you? He knows that it needs to be said out loud because guess what? At the very beginning of the Bible, in the first two or three chapters, we read of the beginning of human history and how God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And he had created it beautiful and perfect for them. And man, they went around. There was, uh, you know, it was like a, a vegetarian's delight. It was like all you could eat, fruits and veggies. You know what I'm saying? Growing off of every tree and there's berries and there's fruit and all this stuff. And it was, everything was healthy and there was no thorns and it was beautiful. And they used to tend to the garden and all that. And man, they were confident. There was no fear. There was absolutely no fear. 
there. They were perfectly confident. In fact, there's a verse that says, and the man and the woman were naked, and they felt no shame or no fear. And I'm telling you what, I went jean shopping yesterday, and I had to go to some of those dressing rooms, and I wasn't even fully naked, but I can tell you this, I felt fear. Looking into that mirror the day after Thanksgiving. Why would we ever want to do that? I don't know. But the point is this. They didn't have fear. They didn't have apprehension. They weren't self-conscious. They were confident. They knew that their father, God, loved them. That he had placed them in authority in that garden to subdue it, to have dominion over it. And to take that order, that beauty, that majesty, that prosperity, that blessing of God and fill the earth with that. That is the condition that the man and the woman found themselves in. But then something ever so sad and ever so eventful happened in chapter 3, and that is that man and woman chose to disobey God and do the only thing, the only thing that God had said they could not do. They literally would have had to, to think about, okay, what can we do to offend God? Because there was no sin. It was just one thing. God said, okay, if you really, really, really want to offend me, if you really want to show me that you don't appreciate my lordship, what I've done in your life, okay, I've got to give you one way to show me that. So here it is. Eat from this particular tree. That's exactly what they did, isn't it? So they disobeyed God. All of a sudden, what happened? Death entered the world, but with death, fear. And all of a sudden, they realized they were naked. They were self-conscious. They were ashamed. All of a sudden, thorns were, were told that they would grow up from the ground. And it was prophesied that women would have pain in childbirth. And so all of a sudden we see the entrance of, of pain, of sickness, of worry. By the sweat of your brow, the man was told, you will provide for your family. It's going to be not like, hey, hey, no big deal, man. God's provided for us. It's all of a sudden like, man, I, I, hope, I hope this job works out. Man, I hope I get this contract. Man, I hope, you know, it comes through. Man, I hope at the end, you know, we don't have more month left at the end of the money, you know, kind of thing. Uh, whatever that is. But all of a sudden that fear came into our lives. And guess what? For thousands of years, it's been around, hasn't it? Do you experience it? Man, I know I do. I don't think anybody has to take us to school to teach us about fear. We just learn naturally, right? I remember taking voice lessons, and they told us this. When a baby's born, it doesn't have any self-consciousness about its voice. Have you noticed that? Moms in the room or in any of our campuses? It's like, Wah! You know, they don't care. But all of a sudden, something happens in those early formative years, and we kind of begin to draw in a little bit, and we're like, uh, and then we're asked to sing in the school choir. We're like, America, America. You know, because we begin, that fear begins to come in and invade our heart and steal our confidence and steal our joy, steal our very identity. That's what fear has done. That's what sin has done. And I don't know what you wrestle with. I could tell you some of my fears, but that really is the question, isn't it? What is it that you fear? What is it that I fear? While you're thinking about that, I'll share with you some of the uh, most common fears. By the way, that word fear in Greek comes from the word phobos, which is the same word that we get phobia from which is a psychological term, right, for, for a fear. And, uh, and there's just so many of them. But, you know, you can research uh, common fears or whatnot. And so uh, I wanted to share with you kind of the 10 most common phobias. And that is uh, number 10. I'll do kind of a little countdown. Number 10 is fear of thunder and lightning, brontophobia. Any takers? Okay, 2% of the population. 
fear of open spaces, agoraphobia, mm, another 2.2%. Number eight, fear of confined spaces, claustrophobia, ooh, goes up to 2.5%, all right? Fear of flying, aerophobia, 6.5%. I'm going to keep on moving because I don't want to look at my wife or anybody else that would be. Number five, excuse me, number six, fear of people or social situations, sociophobia, 7.9. Uh, fear of heights, aerophobia, 11%. How about fear of darkness? I can't even read these. Mictophobia, 11%. Number three, fear of spiders. Arachnophobia, 30.5%. Amen. I'm just going to sign myself up right there. Number two, fear of death. Necrophobia, okay? You don't have to raise your hand. 68% of people. And the number one fear listed in this particular site was glossophobia. The fear of public speaking, 74%. Jay Leno put it this way, we would rather be in the casket than having to deliver the eulogy at the funeral. Uh, <laughs> but it's true for us. Some of us are talking about even coming up this weekend and delivering this message. And, you know, I was afraid that uh, the auto lock would happen on my iPad and I would forget the passcode. I mean, for me, it happens to be my wife's birthday, so that'd be a double whammo. You know what I'm saying? If you catch my drift there. But anyway, but here's the deal. Fear goes a lot deeper than that, doesn't it? I mean, it's nice to talk about fear of spiders and heights and all that kind of stuff. And sure, we may have some of those fears, but we all really know that's not really the deepest fears that we encounter, are they? Man, what about the fear of rejection? Wow. What about just not getting invited to that party and realizing that other people are moving on without you and all of a sudden you find yourself on the outside of a group of friends looking in? What about the fear of failure? Where you feel like, man, I, I'm putting everything that I am into this project or into doing what I'm doing and I have this sinking feeling in the bottom of my gut that I'm gonna fall in short, that it's not gonna be enough and I'm gonna lie on my face, a failure, a loser. What about fear in a relationship? Maybe, man, I, you know, being a pastor, it's easy because there's people in my life right now that are afraid of losing their wife who's already told them that she's leaving him. There's people in my life right now that are afraid of losing their home and they're already talking about foreclosure and what does that look like and where's God? Come on, God, help us out here. What about fear that your spouse isn't really happy with you and they'd rather be with someone else? What about fear of a sickness that you have, perhaps you haven't even shared with many people, but it's a bad diagnosis. Perhaps the time is short, and you're wondering, man, God, this is a dark valley. God, I don't know. God, I need you. Where are you? I don't see you right now. I went for prayer. Nothing seems to have happened. The reports are still the same. Wow. Maybe you're a young person going, hey, I'm afraid. I, I don't know if I'll ever get married. Am I desirable? Am I lovable? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm going to be alone my whole life. Or maybe you want to be single, but you're afraid. Maybe I won't be taken seriously as a single person in a society where it seems like so many people that surround me are married or in different social groupings. Tell you what, 
Fear can be a crippling thing, can it? It can be a paralyzing thing. It can be a demoralizing thing. And God knew that that was the condition that we found ourselves in. And that's why the first thing he did was he said it out loud. God proclaimed his intention over us. Hey, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm here. It's gonna be okay. He knew you needed to hear it. And no matter what it is that you're facing, as you hear this message, campuses, no matter what it is that you're facing, God knows that very thing. And he says to you out loud, do not be afraid. I'm here. You're gonna be okay. You're going to make it. I am with you. And I know you need to hear it even before you see how it's going to play out. There's something about hearing it out loud, isn't there? And God came and spoke that to those shepherds. And he speaks it to you and to me. The second reason I believe that God began his communication after 400 years with those simple words, do not be afraid, is because he had a plan to back it up with action. He had a plan to back it up with action. You know, I don't know about you, but the words, it's going to be okay, or do not be afraid, are only as good as the person saying them, in my mind. Do you agree with that? You know, it's kind of like if I'm sitting on the street corner with a cardboard sign, hoping I'm going to be able to have something to eat that day, and a car stops by and it's like, hey, fear not, it's going to be okay. Oh, okay, got to run. And they drive on. I'm like, thank you. That helps. I feel a little bit better now, but I probably don't have a whole lot of confidence that that's really going to make a difference. Do you? I have what, what I call the confidence quotient. Any mathematicians? All right, any of our campuses, mathematicians here? Okay, so here's, I don't really know what the word quotient means, but it sounds really smart. So uh, here's my confidence quotient. It's a little formula for you, and it's this. The power or ability of the person multiplied by their love or actual good intentions towards me equals the level of confidence I have when they say fear not. Make sense? So let's take this for example. Uh, somebody could have all the power to help me in the world, but they don't even know me. And even if they knew me, they might not care that much about my situation. So it's kind of like, if they were like, hey, fear not, man. I'd be like, okay, easy for you to say. Look at your situation, right? Your needs are met. You're healthy, whatever it is. You got a lot of friends. Thank you. But it wouldn't necessarily complete the confidence that I need. What about this? What if a person loves me to the ends of the earth, man, and they care for me so much, but they're just as bad off as I am, and they've got no more resources than I do. And they're like, hey, it's going to be okay, man. You're going to make it through this. I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but I think we're actually both going to die. You know, <laughs> it still doesn't complete what I need. But how about when a person has great love for me and cares deeply about me and they've got resources to make a difference in my situation? How different is that when that person says, hey, DJ, don't worry, man. We're going to work this out. You know what I'm saying? If I were friends with, let's say, Bill Gates, and 
I'm on that street corner with the cardboard sign, and I'm worried. I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. He's like, DJ, what are you doing out here? I'm like, oh, man, I'm falling across hard times, man. Pastor John finally let me go. You know what I'm saying? He knew it needed to happen for years, but he finally did it. You know, and he's like, hey, man, here's my card. Call me on Monday. You're coming into my office. This is going to be okay. All of a sudden, guess what? I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Anybody need a cardboard sign? <laughs> I'm going to go out and celebrate. Why? Because the person who has great love for me and also has great ability to make a difference said, fear not, it's going to be okay. Right? Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12, says this. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. Did you catch those two things there? What two things belong to God? Power, ability to make a difference in my situation and in my life. And what? With you is unfailing love. Wow. The quotient is complete. You see, God is off the charts in his love for you. God knows you, man. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows your favorite TV show. He knows your favorite way to cook a turkey. He knows what you like to do in your off time. He knows what you would like to be doing five years from now, 10 years from now. He knows what your favorite color is. He knows what your favorite book or poem is. He knows the kind of music you like to listen to. He knows who you like to hang out with. He knows when you feel discouraged, when you feel encouraged. He knows when you feel hopeless, and he knows when you feel like you can conquer the world. Your God cares about you. He loves you. Psalm 139 says that great are the number of his thoughts about you. He spends time thinking about you. And he says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that says, hey, I can say, fear not, do not be afraid, because I have a plan to back it up with some action. Are you thankful for that today? Amen. Here's the deal. God knew that we really did have reason to be afraid, didn't we? Because ever since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, we were born into a place where our lives, I don't know about yours, but my life seems like, man, at every turn, there's danger. At every turn, there's a possibility for something to go wrong. At every turn, there's a possibility for sickness, or there's a possibility for a financial need to be overwhelming, or there's a possibility for something bad to happen, for hurt, for failure, for disappointment in my life. There's a lot of reasons why we find ourselves afraid, and some of them are legitimate. But God had a plan. And that plan was to send his son, Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us this. Speaking of Jesus, it says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, which is another word for sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God didn't just try to make us feel better with a bunch of psychobabble. 
with a bunch of positive thinking, with a bunch of nice thoughts. He actually had a plan to come and make a difference in your world and in my world. And his plan was simple. It was his son Jesus taking your sin and my sin, taking my sickness and yours, taking what it would cost to bring us peace, to take away our fears. And he put it on Jesus, his son, when he was nailed to a cross on that day. That's how much he loves you. That's what he did for you. He went to hell and back literally so that you would not have to be afraid, so that you could know the peace that is found only in Jesus. If you don't know him, hey, you know what? There's reason to be afraid because we are guilty. We are sinful. Without Jesus, we are condemned to an eternity without God. That is a fearful thing. But the good news is, and what the angels came to proclaim is, hey, you don't have to be afraid. There's good news. I love you. I gave my son for you. So you could know peace. So you could be confident. So you could not be enslaved to fear and paralyzed or intimidated and pushed back against the lockers. But you could be confident, a son or daughter of God Most High, who knows who they are and who knows who they belong to. That's what God came to do. He said, fear not, because he intended to back it up with action. Are you thankful that he did that? Man, I am. The third reason that I wanted to share with you why I believe God said, do not fear, fear not, do not be afraid, as his opening line to people after 400 years was this, and it's that we have a part in victory over fear. You and I have a part in the victory over fear. You see, the question has never really been, can God beat up the devil? Right? God knows he can beat up the devil. Agreed? He actually kicked him out of heaven before the earth was ever even created with a third of the angels that went with him, evicted him, you know, shut him out, shut him down. He can't get back in. He can't, you know, build a ladder high enough, whatever. He's done, okay? God kicked him out. The devil knows that God can beat up the devil. Do you agree with that? And I think even you and I probably, on a good day, would even agree that, yeah, you know what? I believe that God can beat up the devil. Would you agree? But here's where the rubber really meets the road. That's not really the question being decided in this life that we find ourselves in. Because this life and this world is not about that. It's about whether or not you and I can walk in the authority of God, our Father, to beat up the devil and to establish the lordship of Jesus in our lives. Amen? Here's the deal. Our Father already showed us by example, right? He exercised authority. Boom! I'm God. Boom! You're gone. The devil is kicked out. 2,000 years ago in this story, the angels were proclaiming what was about to happen. That Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, was coming to be born as a baby. Coming to take our sin. Coming to die in our place. And to take the keys of sin and death and hell from the enemy and win back the victory. That's what he did. Jesus beat up the devil. But here's where we find ourselves. 
that's all been established. Our fathers beat up the devil. Our older brother has beat up the devil. Do you know that he's called the firstborn among many brothers? He's our older brother. You're his younger brother or sister. He's already won the victory. He obeyed the Father. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. He is at the right hand of the Father in victory, in power, in majesty, kind of looking down like, yeah, feels good from up here. I like the view. But you and I find ourselves in this life where it's being decided, will we take hold of the victory that is ours in Christ and walk in authority over fear and over the enemy's purposes in our lives? That is what's being decided. I'll tell you what, this week, uh, and, and even last week, last couple weeks, I found myself in front of my house, and man, I was just feeling afraid uh, over a number, of, a number of things in my life, in my family, things close to me, things involving my kids, things involving things that are very precious to me. And I was praying, I was like, God, wow, God, wh what's going on? Man, this feels, you know, Psalm 91 says, hey, uh, those who trust in the Lord, it shall not come near them. But my wife and I have said to ourselves sometimes, man, that sure felt like it was close. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't always feel like that's really far away. It feels like the bombs are going off awfully close. And we're feeling some of that shrapnel. And we're, we're feeling the ground shake underneath our feet. And man, this conviction came to my heart so strongly that God was saying, BJ, man, I've conquered the enemy. My son Jesus has conquered the enemy. I want you to rise up in authority and be who I've made you to be and start walking in authority over the enemy. Stop being afraid. Start walking in your victory. And it's not going to happen. No matter what God has done, no matter even what Jesus has done, there comes a point where we're only going to experience victory in our life against fear when we rise up and go, okay, God, I don't, you know, know exactly how this all works, but you defeated the devil, Jesus defeated him, and greater is he that is in me than he's in the world, I'm going to stand forth and begin to walk in victory. That's what God is calling his church to be, his sons and daughters, to be more than overcomers, to be enforcers of his victory in the world. See, the enemy's out to steal your faith and my faith. He's out to get it. You know why? It's because, well, I'm going to tell you why. Might be in your notes. 1 John 5, verse 4 says this. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Can you say that out loud, those three words? Even our faith. All caps is together, even our faith. The enemy knows that the victory that can overcome fear, that can overcome adversity, that can overcome the situations that we find ourselves intimidated by and pushed into a corner by, is what? Faith, isn't it? It's when we rise up and begin to believe that we are who we say, who God says we are, that God is who he says he is, and that it's going to be okay, that we don't have to fear. That's when we begin to see the victory played out in our life. The second reason is this, because our faith is what brings glory to God. And I don't know about you, but I've found myself so often asking God, God, why don't you just wrap this whole thing up and, and take us to heaven and let's be done with this. I mean, seriously, if we can all be hanging out together 
sipping on, you know, wine at the marriage supper of the lamb, and I don't know what they're going to serve. Probably not lamb. <laughs> Stick to the notes, DJ. Stick to the notes. You know, why not wrap this whole thing up? Why not just take us up to be with you? Let's be done with the suffering. Let's be done with the struggling. Let's be done with the fight. Let's be done with the discouragement, with the depression, with the fear, with the intimidation. Anybody with me? Seriously. But then I came across this verse, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. And it says this in the New Living Version. With this hope, you can be happy, even when you need to have sorrow and all kinds of tests for a while. These tests have come to prove your faith and to show that it is good. Gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire. Your faith is worth much more than gold, and it must be tested also. Listen to this. Then your faith, which, or excuse me, will bring thanks and shining greatness and honor to Jesus Christ when he comes again. Ooh, I'm going to read that last part again. Then your faith will bring thanks and shining greatness and honor to Jesus Christ when he comes again. We're talking about great joy in this season. How do we have it? How does God want us to experience it, to find it, to walk in it? Here's what I believe God wants us to learn, church is that it's found not only in recognizing the victory of the Father speaking, do not be afraid, I've conquered the enemy, man, I cast him out of heaven, you got nothing to worry about, son, you got nothing to worry about, daughter, I'm here, I'm bringing a savior, I've got a plan. Not only do we have joy in the fact that he backed it up with action and he sent a redeemer to take our sin, to take our suffering, to take our sickness, to bring life and hope to us, but there's joy to be found when we realize that there's a purpose in the testing. There's a purpose in the storm. There's a purpose in our wrestling with fear. Because when we wrestle in faith and experience the victory that God has for you and me, we bring glory to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, one of the things that I've enjoyed about uh, my kids' high school experience, and particularly Zachary, my second born, is wrestling. High school wrestling. And perhaps some of you have kids in high school sports and, and you'll relate to this. But uh, we go to these smelly gyms that just have way too many people. I'm sure they break all kinds of fire codes. But anyway, um, then there's stands on both sides and there's mats all on the inside. And, and uh, there's guys wrestling all that. And of course, you know, the day, as the day goes on, they kind of have the little uh, bracket and all that. And it gets to the, to the finals. But man, but, you know, Zach has done uh, pretty well in that. And, and all of a sudden, a couple minutes before the wrestling match, you'll hear a voice in a loudspeaker say, on deck, Zach Smith. On deck, Zach Smith. And all of a sudden, he puts his hoodie up. He's got his headphones in. And he's like... <laughs> Kind of forget how the rest of it goes. Okay, anyway, all of a sudden his adrenaline gets going. And guess what? My adrenaline is his dad gets going. And I'm like, yeah, there's my son. He's like, you know, listen, he's all serious and he's got, you know, those killer eyes like, yeah, somebody's about to go down. And, and something happens, man, where I'm like, yeah, that's my son, you know. I, I could have been there over there with him. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's my son. Everybody's like, no, he's not. Yes, he is. I can prove it. I got the document right here. I take the birth certificate with me to the events. 
Nobody believes me otherwise. But it's amazing because next up on deck, Zach Smith, and you hear your name called. And you know that it's your time, baby. It's your time. He's had training. He's eaten the right diet. He's had coaching. But there comes a moment when it really gets down to what he's going to do on that mat. And there's no way around that. The victory can only be won as he gets in there and takes everything he's learned, everything he's been told, everything he believes he is, and he proves it on the mat. And I believe that son or daughter of the king, I'll tell you what, I hope you hear this. God has won the victory already. Jesus has won the victory over the enemy. We've talked about that. He won the victory. But now your name is being called. Your name is being called. Son, you're next up on deck. Daughter, you're next up. Come on, get ready. Start listening to the music. Start listening to what I'm speaking over your life. I'm telling you, do not be afraid. It's going to be okay. But guess what? You've got a part in the victory that you're going to win over fear and over the enemy. And when you begin to realize that, it begins to make a little bit more sense. And I begin to think about this. You know what? I bet in heaven there is a room called the Wall of Honor. And there's trophies in that room. And man, there's a big trophy right in the middle. And it's God, the Father's trophy. And he's like, yeah, that's when I kicked the devil out of heaven, man. Yeah, I kicked him out. He, yeah, he took a third of them. I said, hey, everybody wants to go with him? Get on out of here. Boom. They're gone. And then there's another big old trophy right next to him. That's Jesus' trophy. He's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the devil thought he had me. He thought he had me. Man, we slammed him on his back. I took people's sins. I was the sacrifice. Man, you know, he might have struck my heel, but I crushed his head. And there's a big trophy. But guess what? There's rows and rows of empty shelves. And those are for the trophies that you and I are going to bring to the glory of Jesus. And those are for every time that you're facing a fear in your life and you don't know how you're going to get through a difficult situation. And all of a sudden, you know, it always looks different in the training room on the whiteboard, doesn't it? You know what I'm saying? It's always like, yeah, we're going to do this play and then you're going to do this. And, you know, and all of a sudden you get out there, it's like, whoa, hey, what happened? Boom. Ow, that hurt. Right? Have anybody found that? Life's a little bit different than the brochure. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know... But here's the deal. God already knows. Greater is he that is in you, my son. Greater is he that is in you, my daughter, than he that is in the world. You are set apart. You are chosen. I've blessed you. You're part of my family. And we're a family of champions. You will overcome. And you will be victorious. I'm telling you what. If you're here this weekend. And you've been push back into a corner by a situation in your life. There's been something that, man, has you intimidated, that has you trembling in a corner. I believe that God wants you to know that when he came and spoke that word to those angels 2,000 years ago, he is speaking that same word to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, my son. Do not be afraid, my daughter. I am with you. I am with you, and what's more, you are going to win a victory that's going to bring glory and honor and is going to put a trophy on that shelf to the glory of God. The enemy's held a generation of believers in bondage, and, you know, he's okay if we're like, yeah, yeah, God won a victory, 
he's kind of okay with that. He's even okay sometimes if we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus won a victory. As long as he can keep us down from winning our victory. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll compromise quite a bit as long as he can keep us in defeat and in fear and in discouragement. But I'm telling you what, God is saying this Christmas season, can you hear me calling your name? John, next up on deck, baby. Zach, next up on deck. Cammy, next up on deck. Laura, next up on deck. Come on, this is your time. We're gonna do this together. We're a family of champions. I'm not just gonna have you celebrate my victory. I'm gonna show you Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, greater than he that is in the world. As our worship teams come forward at all of our campuses, I'd like to invite you to respond to the Lord today. I don't know what area it is that the enemy has tried to work fear and intimidation and doubt into your life, but I'm sure he's been trying to do something. Perhaps it's the uncertainty of the future. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's fear in a relationship, in your marriage or a friendship. Maybe it's fear of, hey, what does God think of me? Does he truly accept me? Whatever it may be, I believe that God wants to speak to us and to make real this word that we don't have to be afraid because he came. We don't have to be afraid because he paid the price. We don't have to be afraid because he is with us. And as you do that and as you take this word, perhaps you want to step out and go up, come to one of our communion stations and partake, reminding yourself of his blood that was poured out for you and his body that was broken to buy your victory. Or maybe you want to go at any of our campuses to people that will be happy to pray with you and agree with you over whatever situation the enemy's been trying to bring fear and intimidation in your life. Perhaps you just want to stay and stand or sit and just worship God. Just let his favor flood over your life and wash over your mind and remind you of how he feels about you. Whatever it might be, let's come to Jesus. Let's respond to him together. Would you stand to your feet?